Thank you, Nate, for that reminder. It's good to rejoice in the Lord, amen? Good to have a Savior that's so faithful and so true to every one of us. Would you uh, join me as we read God's Word this morning uh, by standing up? I know it'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 together this morning. And this is going to be the focus of our time together for the next 35 minutes. Let's read together God's Word. So rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, coming to him a living stone rejected by men but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once... You were not a people, but now you are God's people. You would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Amen? The reading of God's word. You may be seated. This morning I've entitled my message, A Recipe for Hope. I have a, a beautiful wife that is an amazing baker. She makes amazing, delightful as you could probably tell, um, desserts on a regular basis that fill our kitchen with sweet stuff constantly. There's things like snickerdoodles, coconut joys, molasses cookies, those, those chocolate chip bar cookies that just melt in your mouth. And she has this amazing book. It's like a, a wonderful recipe book filled with these creations inside. And when she gets that book out, I know something good's going to happen in the kitchen. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, our God is an amazing God. And he, like a chef or like an amazing baker, has recipes for us to enjoy as well. And one such recipe I believe that he's put together is a recipe for hope. And that hope is found in his son, Jesus Christ. But it's entrusted to his people, the called out ones, the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for being called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what he's done when he's chosen to redeem 
a, a people for himself, a possession for himself through his son Jesus. And that is who we are that claim the name of Jesus Christ as a people together, both here in Carmichael at Crossroads Church, but also around the world. There are people gathered at this hour and at other hours on the Lord's Day celebrating who Jesus is, his people, his possession. They're the called out ones. And they've been given a recipe for hope, a recipe to carry the goodness of who Jesus Christ to a world in need of hope. And so I believe that there's five ingredients that go together here in the passage in view that the church needs to follow in order to come out with the type of hope that God intends for the church to carry to the world. You know, there's many ingredients that go into these wonderful cookies that my wife creates, and yet if even one of those is not followed perfectly, the outcome isn't as good, is it? You know, there's these little, like, things, teaspoon and tablespoon. Have you ever noticed that there's teaspoon and table? Now, that seems like a small thing, but if you don't follow and put the correct one into the, 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 the cookies, what happens? You know, if it calls for a teaspoon of salt and you put in tablespoons of salt, what happens? Suddenly it goes from a yummy concoction that you really want to delight yourself in to a, what happened to these cookies? And I don't know, but I've experienced that. Probably I was the one baking instead of my wife and didn't follow the ingredients like it was, it was said in the recipe. And it comes out not tasting good. And you don't delight yourself in what has been put in that recipe. And the same thing's true for what, what's in view today. We have five ingredients here that Peter lays out for us, for the church, to have a community that is thriving, not just a community that has hope, but a community that has a thriving hope. That's God's intent, both for Crossroads Church and his church in general around the world. But we have to follow it Every single ingredient, the way God describes for us to have that kind of community that carries that kind of hope. The first thing we see here in verse 1 is that hope thrives in a community that faithfully cares for one another. That faithfully cares for one another. We won't have the kind of hope that the world needs if we aren't a community that is faithfully caring for one another. Peter knew that. Peter recognized that, and Peter instructs the church here in verse 1. Listen to what he says. So rid yourselves. The word rid there is to take off, to strip off, to get rid of. It's like those of you who are hoarders who need to have a yard sale. It's like you gather all that junk that's just taking up space that shouldn't be there, that is cluttering your life that is keeping you from enjoying the space that God has given you. And it's weighing you down. Get that all together and put it out. Get rid of it. Donate it. I'm just like, you know, on a kick right now because after Christmas season, what happens in your house? There's just like clutter everywhere, right? 
So sometimes even myself, I look at my, I have a dresser with like all this junk on it. And I just don't even know what to do with it. I just probably just donate it all. Get rid of it. We have to do the same thing in our lives with Jesus Christ. There's times where clutter takes hold. The old patterns of sin and behavior and things in our hearts come back again. And we have to constantly be on guard for the old nature that creeps in. Peter recognized that. He says, so rid yourself of all malice. Now listen, he is talking to the church. He is not talking to just people who don't know Jesus. So what does that suggest? That suggests that those who know Jesus, who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we still struggle with these things. Listen to what he says. So rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Let's go through each one of these. What's malice? Malice is hateful feelings, hostilities, a spirit delighting in the harm or misfortune of another, any intention to annoy, to hurt, or to harm another person. What? The church struggles with that? Absolutely. Look into your own heart. Look into your own situation. There are times where you feel attacked, so what do you do? You attack back. It's not God's intent for us. It's not what he desires through his Holy Spirit controlling us. But in any given moment, if we give in to the old nature of the flesh, what happens? What comes out of us? Malice can come out of us. Peter said that should not be among you. you got to get rid of it. you got to strip that out of your life. And that needs to happen on a daily basis, does it not? All deceit. What's deceit? It's deliberate dishonesty. It's impure motives. It's falsehoods. There are times when we don't tell the truth. When we aren't consistent with the truth. We're trying to hide something. We're trying to mislead another person. God says that's not what, how we should live. That's not going to offer hope. It's going to offer destruction. We've got to get rid of it. Deceit. Hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? Duplicity. Insincerity. Professing beliefs that one does not practice. Pretending to be what one is not. Are you saying there's hypocrisy in the church? Look around. Look into your own heart. Maybe some of you guys came in this morning. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But what that really is is a mask that you've put on for Sunday morning. You know the mask that you need to wear when you walk into this building. But God doesn't want us to wear a mask. God wants us to be sincere and true and transparent with who we are. And so we need to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. We're called to be genuine and real one with another. But you don't understand. What if I'm real and I'm real nasty? Well, guess what? That's good. Then maybe your brother or sister can pray for you, can encourage you, can help you get to where you need to go with that nastiness. And that's to the foot of the cross. We just spent a few moments with Nate as he led us to Jesus. That's what we need to do with our 
malice, our deceit, our hypocrisy. Envy, what is envy? Envy is jealousy, resentful discontent with our present circumstances. We see somebody else's life, we, we look on social media, and they're living it up, and we want that life. And we're discontent with the life that God's given us. And we begin to, je- to develop envy in our hearts. And we want what we don't have. And then we go after that. And we end up committing sins. And we end up committing all kinds of problems by following the envy that's in our hearts. And ultimately, slander. Slander is defamation, backbiting, a malicious lie, attempting to injure the reputation of someone else. Why? Why do we do that? It's always in an attempt to elevate ourselves. We don't feel good about ourselves, so we got to bring somebody else down. Does that happen? Well, if you're in a relationship with anyone, it happens. It's part of our old nature. It's part of what we experienced before Christ. And Peter wants to warn the church that all of these things will continually try and come into your experience and rob you of being the people of hope that God's called you to be. So we have to get rid of them. We have to get rid of them. When we get rid of something, we should be putting on something instead. Amen? So Colossians chapter 3 describes what we should put in the place of each one of these things. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, care for one another, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Church, if we want to be the people where hope thrives, we have to begin by taking off the things that are ugly and not belong in our midst. Amen? It's not just as a church, it's as individuals, it's in relationships with one another. Do we fail? Are we honest with our failures? Are we honest with saying, I failed? You know, even as a husband, in the last few weeks, I have failed with my wife in how I've treated her. Did I just say, well, I can justify that. I'm a pastor. I can treat you however I want. No. Ask her. I went to her and I confessed that I failed. And I asked for her forgiveness. It needs to happen in relationships It needs to happen in families. It needs to happen in this church. We have to be people where hope can thrive. The devil doesn't want us to be people where hope thrives, does he? So he puts these things into our lives. And he says, hey, just just go ahead and justify it. You deserve to be this way. God, through Peter, writes, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Hope needs to be in a community that is faithfully caring for one another, building each other up the way God intends. Number two, hope thrives in a community that feeds on God's word. 
Listen to what he writes here in verse 2. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Psalm chapter 34 verse 8 is what Peter had in mind here. He, he was a student of the Old Testament. God is consistent. Listen to what Psalm 34 verse 8 says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen? Peter knew that the Lord was good. And because Jesus is so good, we're to delight in him. We're to feed on his words. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the author writes these words, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Here's a definition of what milk is. Milk is the basic principles of God's word. Should we be feeding on that? Absolutely. Does it matter that, hey, I've been in church for 30 years, I don't need that anymore? No, that's not what Peter says. He says we constantly need to be reminding ourselves, feeding on God's word and the truths of God's word. Why? Because he knows how easily we can forget that, how easily we can just go through our day and these other things start to creep in. These jealousies and these envies and these malicious thoughts and intentions, because we're not feeding on God's truth. Church, we need to be a place where God's truth is fed on every day, like we're, like we're little newborn infants. How many of you guys see babies who cry? Why are they crying? Well, they could have a dirty diaper, right? But, they, but many times they're hungry, right? And their cry is like, feed me, I need nourishment. God says that we should have that same cry in our hearts as his people. God, feed me, I need nourishment today. How many are hungry when we wake up in the morning for God's truth? Let it be true of Crossroads Church. Let it be true of us that we're feeding. We're a community that's feeding on God's word. Number three, hope thrives in a community that is focused on sacrificial service. That's focused on sacrificial service. Listen to what Peter writes. Coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. He's describing Jesus. You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why have we been brought together? Why does the church exist? Peter just described why. We are brought together to be a spiritual house, a place where we can belong, where we could come together for a holy priesthood. What does a priesthood do? A priesthood mediates between God and mankind. The church is called, we're the called out ones, to be the priests of God in this city and in this time and in this world. And we are to mediate between a living God who loves humanity 
and a mankind who is lost and depraved were to love them the way Jesus has first loved us, were to tell them the message of reconciliation that's found in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul talks about the same concept. He writes these words, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. How do we worship God? We offer ourselves back to him and say, God, use me however you want to use me. God, today I'm yours. In my marriage, in my family, I want to be your servant. I want to be able to be someone who is faithful with what you have for me today. In my workplace, amongst my coworkers who don't know you, help my light shine so they may see my good works and glorify you, Father, in heaven. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's our worship to God. It's not just when we come together on Sundays. It should be an everyday, moment-by-moment thing. Should it not, church? Let us be faithful to be the kind of community where hope thrives. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. We're to be faithful day in and day out with being this kind of people. Number four, hope thrives in a community that is firmly fixed to Jesus as cornerstone. There can be no hope if there's no Savior. There could be no hope if there's no cornerstone for that hope. Listen to the way Peter describes it here in verse 6. For it is contained in Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. He's quoting here in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. This is what Isaiah wrote back in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. You see, God had destined his son to come into the world, to come and give his life in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the ancient city of David. The place that was called Zion. God had prearranged all that to take place. He had prophesied through the prophet Isaiah that this would happen, that he would lay a cornerstone in Zion, and that the one, speaking of the ones who placed their hope and faith in in that cornerstone, that work of God in Zion would never be put to shame, would never be disappointed. Romans chapter 9, Paul picks up on this, being the scholar that he is. In verse 33, he, he writes about this. 
As it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. And in chapter 10, Paul continues in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says this, So honor will come to you who believe. Honor will come to you who believe. There's an invitation that exists that is still relevant today. It says, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that there is a time, a window of opportunity that God has given humanity. We are still in that window. This age, this age in which God has put together his church, his calling out people out of darkness and into his wonderful light, through an invitation through his son Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, that he laid in Jerusalem so many years ago. He's calling every one of us to repentance of our sin and to turning to Jesus as our cornerstone, as our deliverer, as our salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, it's not okay that you just, I grew up in America, it's a Christian nation. Yeah, right. I grew up in the church. I've been coming for years. Doesn't that count for something? Guess what? No. It isn't about church attendance. It isn't about the legacy that you have in your life of Christianity. It's about your decision to place your faith and trust in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. You can come to him today. What an awesome privilege it is to be the called out ones when we accept that invitation. Jesus is calling our name. Will you accept that today? He wants to build you into the cornerstone that is already there, Jesus Christ. And now you can be built upon that. And he is building a beautiful work. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God wants to build a masterpiece. He wants you included in that. Will you come to him today? Verse 7 again, So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 118, verse 22, where it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, verse 8, a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, where it says, He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Why? He says here at the end of verse 8, 
in 1 Peter, he says, they stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. What a sad reality, but today, if you look into Jerusalem, and you look into the people, the Jewish people, many and most of them have rejected the cornerstone, the Messiah Jesus. They've been tripping over that for 2,000 years. God is continuing to be faithful. He's preserved a remnant. I was watching a special of World War II. Hitler, it was, it was just atrocity. How they, he blamed the Jews for all of Germany's ills. And he got a whole nation to believe in that lie and to then begin to persecute and hurt and kill millions of Jewish people. God still was there for his people, even during that dark time. Because in 1948, coming out of World War II, having been completely decimated as a people, God opened a door that was prophesied in Scripture. And he called his people back into his land, the land of Israel. And they have been coming home for the last 70 years. And God has established them once again in Zion. It's a beautiful thing. It's fulfillment of God's word and and his heart towards his people, Israel. But they stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. I want to read for you Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is speaking. And he, and he, and he says this. Listen to another parable. There was a man, a landowner, who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the grape harvest drew near, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect his fruit. But the farmers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son... They said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? They answered him, he will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his produce at the harvest. Jesus said to them, you have never read in the scriptures. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds 
because they regarded him as a prophet. Jesus foretells what would take place amongst the people when he was on earth. They rejected the one that God intended to be the cornerstone. And because of that rejection, there has been grace that has been poured out on the entire world. We have been given grace and privilege as Gentiles, as people who were far away from God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ because of what happened in Israel rejecting their Messiah and their cornerstone. The Bible goes on to say that we shouldn't become prideful in this because God will use his favor that he's poured out on the people of God in the church to rouse the envy of his people Israel. And in the end, all Israel will be saved. God has a plan to bring about a beautiful building that he is creating a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. He wants to call them into being his people. A hope for the world. Peter was speaking in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Peter, the same one who wrote this epistle, this letter to the church, years later. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter, being in one of the leaders in Jerusalem after Jesus had died on the cross, had been risen into glory, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. He stands up and he says these words in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you. These are all the people that were in Jerusalem. The Jews, the high priests, the Pharisees, the leaders of the people of Israel. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. Peter had just helped someone who was crippled walk again, and they were mesmerized by the power of God that was displayed through them, and they started to ask, what, by what Power, by what name do you do this healing work? Peter said it is by the name of Jesus Christ. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Peter recognizes that Jesus is the cornerstone. He invites everyone to come to that realization, that recognition. And if we're going to be a a church, a community where hope thrives, we need to understand that we have to be faithfully caring for one another. We have to be feeding on God's word every day, regularly. We have to be focused on sacrificial service, on worship of God, on making our bodies a living sacrifice, a place where we say, God, use me today for your purposes, not my own. We have to be a community that's firmly fixed to Jesus as the cornerstone. And finally, we need to be a community where we are found declaring the praises of God. Amen? Amen. 
Do you have a testimony? Were you once lost, but now you were found? Were you once blind, but now you can see? Then you have a testimony. Are you sharing that with people in your life? Are you sharing that with people who need to hear the hope that is found in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ? I know that he's given us the opportunity to declare his praises. Listen to what Peter says in, as he concludes this section. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race. He's speaking to the church. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his possession. If anybody tells you you're nothing, say, no, 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 no. God says this is who I am. Devil, don't be lying to me because God has made me someone through his blood. And nothing can change that, as Nate said earlier. So that you may proclaim the praises. This is the why. Why has God called us to be his people? Why has God redeemed us, brought us into his family, made us co-heirs with his son, Jesus Christ? Why? This is the why. So that you may declare or proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's called a testimony. That's called a share what God has done in your life with someone around you. That's what we're here for. We're here to declare the hope of the glory of God that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. With people who need to hear it, people who need to see it, do you have people like that in your life? Have you been faithful to declare his praises in front of them? To declare your testimony of what he's done in your life in front of them? Let us be found faithful. Let us be found to be the people where hope thrives. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As the worship team comes, we're going to respond. We're going to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know, it's exciting. Church is a place where we get to sing. And singing is something that Sometimes we take for granted, but we have, we have a reason to sing, do we not, church? We have a, a reason to praise. Music is an expression of the heart. And it doesn't matter if you sit here like this and sing, or you sit here like this and sing, or you're up here dancing and singing. But God is looking at the inside. Man looks on the outside. And it does encourage me to see, you know, not like this, Right? Because as the outside, I want to see something going on on the inside where you're excited about the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We should be a people that can express that joy. And as the world sees the church praise him, as the world sees that take place, they should know, man, that's where hope lives. That's where hope thrives. Listen to the way Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2. He says these words. So you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household. You're built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together 
for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's worship him today in spirit and in truth. Church, would you stand with me? Let's sing his praises together, declaring that we are a people of hope, a people where hope lives and thrives. Amen? Amen.